In this episode, I speak with Vika Katsudis, founder of By Native, a collective of explorers, artisans, and creatives who produce high-quality home textiles and accessories. In Vika's words, I think an object is only as beautiful as the environment in which it's made. That's why By Native guarantees quality, not only in the products we make, but also in the lives of the artisans we work with. Vika works closely with small social enterprises to ensure that every individual involved in the manufacturing process of her goods is treated with respect, works in a safe environment, and receives a fair wage. Welcome to the Rare Conversations podcast. I'm Leonie Milano, and I chat with creative entrepreneurs and business owners around the world about what it takes to start, sustain, scale, and sell a business. We talk about real-life scenarios to help you understand the path before you, to inspire your journey. I transitioned from working in film, TV, and global events to working with creative entrepreneurs through mindset coaching and mentoring. I'm on a mission to help entrepreneurs embrace the journey, understand themselves better, accelerate their growth, and get the most out of life, making sure they have a hell of a lot of fun along the way. Vivka, it is so lovely to have you today on my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you going? Thank you so much for inviting me, Leonie. It has been, I mean, we know each other for some time, but it has been a while that we really connected again, right? yeah, it has really. Time's yeah. flying, isn't it? When you were in the UAE, you were a very successful managing director in the MENA region for a global brand building agency. Why did you decide to become a business owner? Hmm. It's a very good question. Um, I think there were multiple reasons. So I think, firstly, I think I really felt that I had reached a point where I I didn't know how to move further in, you know, in, in exciting or, or creative ways that would also, you know, push my boundaries further or where, where I just could learn more, still learn and experience things um, of my own. And um, the MENA office that I had set up in 2005 for my employer, who was based in Munich at that time, was tremendously successful and we, we grew very, very fast. But I felt like my my role there also changed the more our numbers grew and our our personnel and and so were also of course my um my duties so the the bigger the company actually grew, the more I felt that my role was reduced to basically the race for the next big pitch to win or just reporting figures. so I really felt I was becoming a number pusher instead of really being the creative helm of the agency. And personally, I have always been a creative person. It's where I really thrive. I just felt I wasn't at the right place anymore where I wanted to be in life. And I think the second point was that I really, I had taken a zip from the Kool-Aid called entrepreneurship. And um, <laughs> one of the, <laughs> I was really ready, I, I think, to start something on my own. You know, I've been in the field of um, brand strategy and brand experience production for so, so many years. And I, I just felt it was a t- the right time to, to create a first brand or a business that I truly love for myself. 
and truly loved by so many other people as well. When you first started your first business, which is called Essentially, the cold press juices business, what was your mission with that? Hmm. So that was back in 2012 when we actually launched. So we, um, I started developing essentially in 2011. And back then, really, our mission was to, to really change the, the status quo of the available health food and, and health beverage options in the region. So at that point, I mean, now things have, of course, changed. We have vegan restaurants. There's an amazing variety oh, of health options. Mm. I mean, in, in Dubai, it's, it's amazing. But back in 2011, there was really not much. And the health statistics in the Gulf region were frightening. I, I think they still are. But if you look at, you know, obesity numbers, diabetes and all this, you know, heart conditions, it's, I mean, all the Gulf states are literally in the top three to five in the world. So that's shocking. I really felt that the missing factor was was really the access to high quality, but also easy to consume nutrition because people in Dubai are always on the go and they want something they can, they can just grab and consume. So the, the philosophy about um, or behind essentially was really that everybody has a right to high-end nutrition and everybody should get... Uh, nutrition that is easily accessible in our modern and demanding lifestyles so that that people really can create um, positive and long-lasting changes to their diet and overall health. And for us at that time, the solution was really to offer two to three pounds of solid cold-pressed veggies with a bit of fruit in a bottle. And we were really the first company that offered that. It was, it was an idea I discovered really when I was traveling the U.S. because I already saw a few cold-pressed juiceries around and I just thought, my God, that's, that's amazing. I wasn't well myself at that time. So I, I was just, I don't know, modern terms, you can call it a burnout. That was basically um, at the time where I was ready to leave my previous employer and I wasn't able to absorb nutrients, even though I was eating very healthy. I was always very sporty. I just, I just didn't feel right. So I went to a nutritionist and she she said to me basically that I have really, my body has problems to absorb the nutrients from food. And she also recommended juicing to me. So essentially was partly really also something that grew from my own desire to become healthier, really an own, um, yeah. My so own your body, my business. you were so burnt out that your body wasn't accepting nutrients? Yeah, it's quite interesting. So I, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if I explained this correct. From what I remember, what the doctor said to me, she's an amazing um, doctor in Dubai. When your body is constantly under stress, which I was, you know, 15 years in marketing, and it's, it's just, it's a very stressful job. The cells of your body basically become, the structure becomes wider in a way that the original food particles transfer into your bloodstream. And this is when you start developing insensitivities, allergies. And so so it's basically a reflection of a very stressed out body. And um, yeah, and the only way, exactly. And and this is a very typical, I think, common disease now in in our Western worlds that we have all kinds of allergies or food insensitivities. So my solution at that time was really 
to get into juicing. So I juiced for myself for one or two years. And then I decided, you know, what's good for me is surely good enough for a lot of other people. And I always felt that if I have this problem and I, I'm looking for a better way to get as many nutrients into my body as possible, then I'm sure there are lots of other people out there who, who have the same problem. So these two factors combined really started essentially. Mm. You know, also me coming from the event industry as well, even film production, all yeah. of it is incredibly stressful. Um, yeah. But, you always yeah. look towards deadlines. There's always another deadline around the corner and it, it just really takes its toll after some time. Yeah, absolutely. How did you manage to grow your customer base with Essentially? Very, very much of just being on the ground. So even though we were from the very beginning an online brand, so basically people could go online, order the juices and got them delivered to their home, we were very, very present in the market. I mean, Dubai is a very small place in a way. So we participate in all kinds of events that we felt was just a great meeting point with like-minded individuals, whether it was marathons, the Dubai women's run, the ripe market was a, was a huge um, factor for us to get known and, and really lots and lots of word of mouth. So people who liked our juices recommended us. So we grew our, our customer database literally from word of mouth and people who just met us, tried the juices and, and liked us. And it was a lot about also, I think, putting our faces out there. People For the connection. Always, yeah, absolute personal connection. I mean, I don't know how many times at the beginning I drove juice bags to people at night and they were so surprised that I actually delivered the juices myself. They were like, mm. oh my God. And I was like, yep, that's um, service <laughs> with a smile, right? But this is, this is what you do. And I, th- I also think it created a lot of trust because it was just, our face out there. And we were literally standing every weekend at the market and be accessible for everyone who had questions. And then the other thing is really we, the connection with like-minded individuals. And I, I would never call them influencers because those were people who supported us no matter what, you know, no matter whether we offered freebies or not. So yoga teachers, dietitians, athletes, those were all our first fans from, from, from the word go. And, and those were also the best spokespersons uh, we could hope for in a way. And looking back on that experience, is there anything that you would have done differently Hmm. It's a very good question when you look back. I think it's very, very important to remind yourself that you really have to pace yourself when you when you start a business. You know, especially when you're when you're growing, it can become very overwhelming at times. And sometimes you might need to take smaller steps in order to grow bigger and better at a later point. I think that's that's really important because you have so many milestones you want to achieve, but sometimes it's really important to look at the moment where you are and just make that right before you, before you take a next step. And I think also, it's not what I would have done differently, but I think it's a very important message in general because 
we grew very, very quickly. And at one point, because we set up essentially, literally uh, by bootstrapping with our own savings, because as you know, in Dubai, it's very, very difficult to get bank credits or anything if you're a startup. Mm -hmm. So when you see capital investors or partners, I think it's it's so crucial to find partners that really share exactly your vision. An investor partnership is pretty much like a marriage. It's maybe more important than a marriage. I don't know, but you need to be 100% certain um, who you go to bed with. And, and in my experience, because I had these talks also with, with investors and investment companies in Dubai, and I, I always felt there's a lot of capital, a lot of money in the market, but there's very little patience and understanding for brand growth and brand value. Mm -hmm. So what I mean is, so I, I just feel that I waste a lot of time with what I call discussions with typical, you know, shark investors who are zero interested in your, in your product or your brand or what you have to bring to the market. And, and all they're asking at the end of the presentation is the double figure growth or um, a date, a sell-off date. And that, that happened to us a lot. And we were really very disillusioned at one point. And I experience here now living back in, in, in Germany that the European, but also the US market works very differently because I think there's, there's a better understanding about brand value and more and the understanding that you need to take time to really grow a brand because only then you can create really a long and, and sustainable brand and also um, a partnership. So, yeah, so basically when you need capital to grow, I think you should always look out for all the additional benefits you can get. So be a mentorship or maybe a smart alliance or or a fusion, you know, whatever feels right for you and your business at this stage. I think this is really, really important. So the and, package should always not just be money. And also making sure you don't just get any mentor, that you get one that yes. is right for you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You're right yes. because people can have, what is, do they have an ulterior motive firstly? Yeah. Are they actually interested in what you're doing because I, I think any business with the amount of work and especially how you just described, it is so much work. And if it doesn't yes. have a soul, then you're it completely depleted. Yeah. And it will not go somewhere. It might go for some time, but I don't think it will go for that long. And I think also, you know, don't be afraid to ask. And and, and that's a nice thing about Dubai. I always felt that there's so many people who are willing to offer support for free mentorship. I mean, we connected, for example, at one point with Matt and Kim from Raw Coffee. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, every couple of months over literally a cup of coffee and a juice. And they gave us so much good advice. And it was just, just because we had admired their business and they just, I think, liked us. And all this is really valuable. So I think don't be afraid to ask. Most people surprisingly are very, very open and, and helpful to give advice or an hour of their time. And that's always good. Absolutely. I agree. When you decided to launch your home textiles and accessories business by Native, how did mm. that come about? Mm. And I love this new business, by the way. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I always, always loved interior design. Um, I just 
think I felt very shy about it because I never studied or I never, I don't have a, I felt, okay, I, I didn't do any degree. I didn't study art. I actually, during my, during the past two years, I, I started to study interior design. Um, but I felt for some reason, I don't know, I wasn't qualified in a sort of diploma kind of way even mm. though I loved it. And I mean, I, I'm, I've been an interior design geek forever and I collect global textiles and things I can remember. And our home is full of memories from many travels. So, so by native really was a business idea that I spent years developing in my head before I actually took the leap to really map it out as a business plan. And um, yeah, and, and the COVID period was actually the perfect time because you know we were all like homebound and mm. um the kids uh were staying at home so it was it was almost like a moment where every where the whole world froze in a way and my light bulb moment was really that I always was really uninspired by the ready available home textiles and, and accessories and all the items in my home that I really love and cherish those are all things about doing my travels. So these are all pieces that that have a real story and a soul. And with By Native, I really wanted to create a business that kind of creates the next best experience. So sharing really the stories from the incredible makers behind it. And yeah, and during the COVID period when traveling was partly completely impossible and we were all home grounded, I, I really decided to dive to dive deeper into this topic and started to develop the brand and then um yeah wrote the business plan and it was it was a good time because it was very yeah you know we were all at home and it was a time for being more more quiet and and focusing and just from what you said I, you probably have more experience than new designers starting isn't it when you break down the actual experience and knowledge that you have for something and I think this is the case with people. They think that they're not ready or they can't be ready or they do have to have a piece of paper. And I think that blocks yeah. Yeah. a lot of people from just getting started. I don't know anything better than just taking the action because you very, very quickly understand what people like, what they don't like, what's working, yeah, absolutely, what's not. When you were creating your by native product range, what was mm. most important to you in your selection process? I think mostly to to really find unique items that I hadn't really seen, um, at least not in this part of the world, and and really go back to the roots of of handcraft. And I think what's where we try is by native to to go a slightly different way than just to offer you know products we find all over the world and we buy them and we sell them is really that we're combining a modern approach to design with really traditional old craft work and to do this in the most sustainable and ethical way possible so we are working with really really talented craftspeople in very small communities sometimes really villages, and we look at the traditional patterns or what is already there and just trying to give it a more minimalistic look that fits to what I call like an urban home um, surrounding. 
And I think that's also very important that, A, it, it fits really with what I call a Western lifestyle, but it also opens a market for these people who didn't have a market before and who were bound mm. to stay into this very traditional yeah, way of selling their, their craft. And the supply chain is quite small. It's not yes. this long, dragged out thing that's shipping enormous amounts. It's completely everywhere. different. And, and that was also, it's, it's really going back to the roots. That was also part during COVID, you know, when, of course, everybody had their own problems sitting at home and, um, you know, <laughs> homeschooling kids. But if you looked at the bigger picture, how many people struggled with problems we can't even imagine. I remember there were all these articles about the factory workers in the uh, in the garment industry, in especially in, in certain parts of India, who had to literally walk on foot back to their villages with no assurance, with no money, with nothing, to be back in a village where no one was waiting for them, no money. And that's a huge problem that in these the global textile industry, where you have thousands of people leaving their villages to work in these sweatshop factories just to be able to send money home back to the villages is just tragic. And what we are doing, because the textile industry is, of course, another huge factor, but the home decor business or the the furniture business is something that is not as transparent yet as what, what's happening at the moment with the textile industry. But on a smaller range, same there are the same structures happening. And I felt it was really, really important to go back to the roots and work with craftspeople who actually work in the village at their own time and where they can really create a substantial income for them without having to leave um, the village so they can be with their kids and they can also save or protect their, their traditional craftsmanship. That's very important because all this mm. um, is getting lost over time. I think that's very important. And how do they get to preserve it with the evolution of Yeah, time? and they can't preserve it if there's no market. And another problem is they need to find the market and how – it's very difficult for them because they don't, they just don't have the tools. So what we are doing, we're working with some very, very smart social initiatives on the ground who found a different way than just what I call the traditional fair trade way where you, let's say, where you just buy products and you sell them in um, one world shops or mm -hmm. a lot of people uh, in like at least here in Europe is sometimes related to church projects. So it has always this goodwill factor, right? So I think there's a more interesting way where you not only buy products, but you develop new products with them together and you give them the tools so they actually learn from that experience. So there's mentorship involved. So that you teach them actually to to calculate how much they should charge for an item they make. So basically, basic um, business administration. So they can, they can decide, I need to charge this much money for an item so I can not only save up something for the future, I can also have a health insurance, I can save up for schooling for my kids. Mm. So all this is very, very much needed. So um, we teamed up with social enterprises who also 
take a lot of care about the educational part. And that's really opening up an entire new array of possibilities that they probably didn't even get to think of before. Completely. Yeah. For example, we work with one social enterprise in Malawi and Malawi is one of the poorest countries in the world. And the social enterprise we're working with, they, they just found a new way of designing very traditional basketry. So they teamed up with some young designers and, and showed them the traditional craft work and asked them, what would you do if you could create anything with, with these kind of natural materials? So together, they developed actually a new range of products. And for the people there, basketry or weaving was sometimes that was really looked down to because it was ancient. Nobody wanted to get involved into it. It was not making any money. So they actually shifted a very traditional handcraft around into something hip and worth worth doing because it was actually pays you your bills. Mm. And I think, yeah, we, we need so many more ideas of this. And a lot of us like those kinds of products. Yes. I think especially if you take the design aspect into this, because I think it's also important that, you know, first of all, we buy products because we love them and we love the design. And it's a benefit that there is a great story behind it and that you really help the makers, not just a global chain that's, I would always say, a lot of the global chains, I mean, in to break it down, what, what's happening is they go to Mexico, for example, and they take a traditional design. For example, what happened with one of the big chains, they take traditional Zapotec designs from the Mexican Indians. Then they create a blouse or a, a pillow or whatever. They produce it in China with cotton that is shipped from India. And then it's marketed as a boho Mm-hmm. tunica or boho pillow or whatever and it's just so wrong mm. uh, because it has nothing to do anymore with the traditional handcraft it's just part of the global i've seen backlash of, with that yeah when, when that yeah. happens thankfully people are seeing that and knowing the story behind product i think people are getting more educated and demanding things Much like more. that yes. yeah and that's very important Nowadays, I mean, especially the younger generation, I see this in my nieces, they have become really critical thinkers. And it's Mm. not just about the brand. They certainly want to know who's behind it. um, What exactly are you doing? So I think just another brand that sells stuff is just not cutting it anymore. Mm. And I can see from your two businesses that sustainability, transparency, you could say operating from a place of best practices at all times and upholding your values has been at the forefront. What about small businesses that are trying to get off the ground and quite often choose that fast option without considering the long-term impacts of their decisions? Was this something that you ever struggled with when you were getting started terms of packaging and maybe ingredients yeah to be honest never because i i've always created business from a very from a place of personal passion and and love so i think it's all about the intention you're setting when you when you're starting out i can hear your puppy (laughs) what is it sorry about that no it's okay I think I think hey, this is, is no... the new way we do podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> Come here. Come here. 
I think it's all about the intentions you're you're setting on a on a personal level um, that will drive your business. And I think right. once you have done that, there is no way f- for shortcuts. And I also believe that these are the businesses that will pass the test of time. I mean, of course, if you if it's just about money and you come up with a product in China and you want to drop ship it, yeah, you probably sell. Maybe your your business will last two years if that's your intention to just to make, you know, a quick buck. But I think, I mean, at least this is from my, from my personal, where I'm coming from. If you spend really the time to create a business and it should be a business that you really, really love. And if you do that, you know, it's all about integrity and honesty and, and you just can't do really shortcuts. Yeah. Well, I mean, you want to you feel to good find, in yourself every day, yeah, right? Absolutely. You have to find, of course, sometimes alternatives. You can't work with the best designers you want to work with, or sometimes certain papers are too expensive. You know, I'm, yeah, when it comes to packaging, design, how things have to look, I think I'm sometimes um, a lot in my own way because I'm, I'm a total yeah. perfectionist. I'm a total perfectionist. And that's good in a way, but it can also be, a problem because sometimes you just have to go with the flow and you have to find alternatives and not everything is 100% perfect at the beginning but it's what is important that the boundaries you set for yourself have to be right so basically the absolute your base notes so mm-hmm. the place where you're coming from your intentions the things that are really crucial to to transport your your voice and your mission that should be always without any compromise. Even just starting a business, I mean, it's so emotional. You're so involved. I mean, it's really everything. Yeah. It's you a baby. Yeah, it I was going to say, you hear yeah. people refer to it as a baby. And yeah. that- funnily, it takes, it takes nine to 12 months to develop a business. So it's literally, ah, um, yeah, you're, you're pregnant with an idea and you develop it and develop it. At least for me, it was always nine months to a year. Mm. That's why I always also said, you know, these are my babies. And mm. because they are I hear it all way. the time. Yeah. yeah. And one movement that is gaining momentum these days is B Corp. And for anyone new yeah. to this term, it's a global network of businesses who have committed to being a source for good, as they say. It's a lengthy process that assesses businesses on their governance, workers, community, environment, and customers. And having this verification makes a company instantly recognizable around their commitment, not only to climate change, but social good as well. It gives consumers a chance to connect with purpose-led businesses, knowing that they've been through that stringent process. And according to the B Corp website, they currently have over 4,000 certified B corporations in more than 70 countries in over 150 industries. So it's really reflective of a broader change that's happening that you mentioned before as well with the younger people. Um, And more recently, as a result of the pandemic, where people would really begin to assess things more seriously, would you ever consider becoming B Corp certified down the track with what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, it is it's in our plan. It's a milestone we want to achieve in the next one or two years. But as you said, I love B Corp because as you said, it's stringent. There is no way to cut corners and you have to go to a lengthy process to be certified. But I also think 
it's very, very important that we have these certifications because there is a lot of, there's already a lot of, you know, labels out there that are not so trustworthy. So I think that's definitely an important certification to have because it also means um, you have really passed all these points. And it's, yeah, I mean, if you're a larger company, there are lots of points you have to work on. Mm. And the good thing about it as well is that you don't just get the certification and then you're good and then you get yeah. to slack off. Yeah. You, I think you have to renew it every three years. Yes. So yes, you have yeah. to be on your game. But it yeah. takes so much of the work out for us as consumers and customers when we get to see that on a website. We yeah. know we can feel really good in the choices that we're making yeah. with our purchases. I think that's very important because, unfortunately, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, this whole wave of greenwashing, which is happening yeah. um, to such an extreme, especially in the fashion industry. I think that has really taken over in the last two, three years. And it makes me personally really angry because as a consumer, you have to really dig and dig and dig to find out who's behind the products. Is it really green or is this just, um, you know, is this just another marketing strategy? And unfortunately, in a lot of, well, most of the times, almost it is. And this is one option where I think you can, as a consumer, cut through the clutter that is around us every day. Because I think especially yeah. with greenwashing, it is just inundating us at the moment. And because we're already living in a trance in our lives, there was a Harvard study saying that we're off in a daydream for half of our time Yeah, when, when we're dealing with a task or anything. So you can imagine when we're on automatic pilot and we're out there shopping for things, unless you are really aware of what you're doing you will be just drawn in automatically all the messaging that goes into your subconscious mind listening to them because they're hiring the best in the business the behavioralists the psychologists the best marketers in the world and it's really powerful and they know how to get to people so it's the the even the smallest inclination towards that people will think oh it's great when really yeah. you have to yeah. dig. Yeah, or products you Which is um, hard to do. Buy. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of products you buy, but then you need to have this additional um, little voice that said, yeah, but you know it's made from recycled materials. So actually you feel, you don't feel that guilty anymore about your purchase. You actually feel good because mostly you want to have that instant gratification when you buy something. Mm -hmm. And if it gives you this extra benefit of, hey, you know, it's actually green or it's, uh, it's good for the environment or whatever, it's, it just makes you feel better. But what I noticed and, and also, which is one intention we, um, we're trying to create with our business is the, the whole point of slowing down in life, you know, slow food, slow living. When with slow living, I really mean that you buy, you really buy um, consciously in a way that focus on products you really love, focus on products that will last, that maybe you can give to your kids, mm. you know, really think about your purchasing choices. Don't just buy stuff, be very, very critical. It's almost um 
a minimalist approach to consumerism. So it's not about that you should be frugal and not buying anything, but focus really more on things you truly love than just stuff. Because I And you think, don't need a lot then. No. And we all, you know, we all felt it during the past two years. Actually, you don't need that much. It's surprising I, how little we I, need. Yeah. And I, even for myself, you know, during the past two years, I mean, the, the amount of clothing I bought, I think you can count on a hand or mm-hmm. two hands maximum. And you realize, yeah, really, you absolutely, you don't really need much and you miss other things much more. Friendships, conversations, hugging people, meeting people, mm. dancing, going out, you know, those are the things I really craved um, in the past two years, but not to Another spend money on, on, on more, more stuff. Exactly. There's the 80-20 rule. I think that applies even for wardrobes. We wear 20% of our clothing 80% of the time. Yeah. It's just stuff. We end up with all this stuff and for what? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's also the point again of a quick gratification. I think it's especially, and I, I see it in myself and I used to really work long, long hours in Dubai, you know, you want to reward yourself because you worked so hard and for all your hard works, okay, you can't take a day off, you can't travel. So you buy a new pair of shoes. But Mm. um, if you really think about it, you don't actually need this. You need another reward. You need to take time for yourself, reward yourself differently, go for a walk, put your face out in the sun for an hour, just find joy in, in other things. And, but I think it's a process and I've been in that as well, especially in the corporate world. But, but the more I really started to do things I really, truly loved, like, you know, having my own business, the less I realized I need anything else. Mm. So I have become much more minimalist over the years. I don't know if it's an age thing, but I think it's also a development that you go through on a personal level. And hopefully some change is happening. You know, I know a lot of people bounce back automatically to what it was prior to the pandemic, but hopefully there's, you know, and change is difficult. It's very difficult for anyone, but the younger people, thankfully, are pushing that through. How do you measure culture? How does one measure something that you can't see? But also, if you don't measure something, it's hard to manage. I would love to get your thoughts on this. You mean corporate culture, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't know. To me, it comes, hmm, I think it's pretty much also something that comes with a general empathy for, for people with which what I call like social intelligence. Because I think in all the businesses I've worked with, the most important factor are your people. They are your bread and butter. It's what drives your business. It's everything. And, and without them, nothing really worked properly. Of course, you can exchange people, but it costs a tremendous amount of energy and money to constantly rehire retrain people so it's so important to really have an a team around you and to treat these people with the same respect and eye level conversation you want to be treated with so I, I don't really have a specific philosophy I think it's just how I was raised you know with very simple rules that you always have an 
eye-to-eye level conversation you always respect people like you want to respect be respected and it doesn't matter who this person is what level this person is at whether it's a tea boy a gardener a mate your your creative director it doesn't matter everybody is there to do their best and deserves the same level of respect but i don't think it ends in your company i think it's also what i always did I always did talks with every employee once a year, sometimes twice a year, which was not just about, you know, the process within the company, but also where they, where they wanted to be in the next years. So mm-hmm. I think it's not only about creating a culture within the company, but also being really a door opener for the people you really like for the future. You know, if all the people who also left our company in the past because they had an amazing opportunity or they just got a money offer they couldn't refuse and I I just couldn't um, pay them the same salaries or whatever. Sometimes it's very mundane problems. But if you really like these people and you wish them the best, you open the doors for them and you just give them your best wishes along. And finally, with all the people I have worked in the past, I'm still in contact. And I think it's so important, like the company I first worked for, I'm still in touch with every single employee through friendship, Facebook. And I think that is so important. And you're not learning through people because I do see that that happens. I actually saw in a forum once somebody said, what should I do in this situation? Somebody wants to go and start a business on their own or something, but they just hire them. But it sounded like it was coming from a place of being fearful when in fact, we just, we can't ever control anybody. And the best thing is to encourage people because if something's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I think that's and of evolution that happens within businesses. Hey everyone, I'm excited to jump in here and let you know about my program for 2022. People say knowledge is power, but that's not entirely true. If you do nothing with that knowledge, it's worthless. If you implement it, you become unstoppable. Creating your own business takes work, commitment, dedication to getting tasks done, working through the frustrations when you realize it's more than you thought, and you feel like you're always on the verge of quitting. The easy thing to do is give up, but that just perpetuates a cycle because when there is something you can't stop thinking about, something that you really wanna create, you'll never be able to shake it. What we're not taught in school is how our brain actually works. It is so hardwired with our individual beliefs based on our own life experiences that it takes the utmost awareness to know what you need to do differently to achieve your goals. This is the single biggest thing that can be the deciding factor on how well you live your life. When you're starting a new business, there are stages you need to go through. Analysis, planning, testing, strategizing, taking action, in tandem with accountability and support, etc. This is what I help my clients with. In my 10-week program, I'll take you from being stuck and not knowing how to grow to getting clarity and confidence that will get you to the next level. We'll make sure your niche, target market, offer, and strategy is solid by implementing systems and a step-by-step action plan to strengthen your foundation that will allow you to grow faster than you could have imagined. You'll gain clarity and confidence with every step not ever having to return to where you were ever again. 
I work with a limited number of clients at any time, and to really help you, it needs to be a mutually beneficial fit. This is for someone serious about their growth, for someone who's tired of just getting by to having a healthy business that actually makes money. If this sounds like something you're interested in, send me an email to hello at leonimilano.com. That's L-E-O-N-I-M-I-L-A-N-O.com with the word apply and we can jump on a call to see if this works. If you can tell me one thing that you got out of this episode, I'll add an exclusive bonus. Now let's get back to the episode. There will be people that will learn and grow and want to move on. It's a natural process. Yeah, and you should embrace this. And I think that's very important. And sometimes you can't offer those people the position they're ready for, and then it's right for them to move on. And you should wish them all the best. If they have done the best job for you, you should let them go with an open heart and, and embrace it. And you never know. Sometimes you work together again. Maybe sometimes these people become your clients or the other way around. It's just really, I think, mutual respect is just very important. Even if somebody starts potentially becomes your own competitor, you have to even embrace that. Competition is in general a good thing because it also keeps you on your toes you can thrive to be always the best version or your business can always thrive to be the best version. And that's also important. It doesn't have to be everyone turns into enemies. That's really looking at it from a lack point of view that that is though there aren't enough people in the world and there aren't enough opportunities. and, And what would be your advice for a small business that hasn't ever really understood this, that hasn't ever embodied culture and they might burn through their employees. And if they start to think in a different way of, if I tweak a few things, maybe I can reduce our overheads and Mm. look at the business with a different lens. How could they start Mm. that? I think it's, it's mainly a point of shifting your own your own point of view, right? Because all all these things are usually done from a point of fear. So losing things or somebody is taking something away. And I think you really, you have to, that's always a losing point. I think you have to leave the point entirely and start from a point of, of teamwork and embracing talent. And giving people the time. Yeah, Listening and to them, I think. The time. So it's an important point, yeah. And also develop within their positions, you know, just because you've done something for two years doesn't mean that you need to do this forever. And I, I had this a lot of time in my company with somebody who was good in something who said, yeah, actually, but I want to move into the film department, but I've never worked in film. I said, okay, if there's something you really, really want to do, we give you the chance to, to try it out because otherwise, how will people otherwise get a chance to you and know, you want them to be happy after all. And you want them to be happy because you want to have a happy employee is a, is a loyal employee and an employee that sticks with you. And I think loyalty is so important. I value loyalty a lot. And I, I love to work with people who, who stay with you for many years. That's, that's the people I really appreciate. This is a culture you have to develop. Um, so it's a culture where you give people the personal space to try things out and maybe mm. also do maybe not to be successful sometimes and to work mm. it out together and give people a second chance. 
Yes. And I've also, this reminded me of there is that 360 feedback, the survey where everyone can give feedback. Quite often it's very hierarchical and Mm. it's like the feedback can go down, but it cannot go upwards. Quite often there are things that happen within a company that are real issues that are ignored because of a hierarchy. And that can be quite problematic because it leaves the company very disjointed. Yeah. And culturally, this is a thing as well. Respect how things are looked at. It really comes down to who's leading a company. And yeah. And it's always, you know, are you ruling from a point of fear because your employees are afraid of you? Or are you just never a good place? Passion or leading by example or empowering your employees to do better. Mm. Um, But you see this a lot of times in so, so many corporations, a classical corporation setup is still in a lot of cases, leadership from a point of fear. And then, of course, you don't see the writing on the wall because you don't hear the small voices because the small voices have no access to you. And yeah, and, and I saw this even when I was working in the marketing agency with clients that a lot of your clients were working in these very corporate environments where everybody had to constantly watch their backs. And I think it's just, it's an awful place to be in. And I, it's very I'm glad prevalent. that I never had to, to do that, to be honest. Yeah, there's also that thing of if you try to challenge me, there's 10 other people who can take your job. Exactly. Yeah. Rather than yeah. I think it's it comes down to the the character of the leader and whether they can embrace feedback and work with it. I remember listening to a great podcast with the CEO of Gymshark and mm-hmm. he was the one talking about the, that's where I heard about the 360 feedback survey and somebody what he was working with to scale his business. He said he was so egotistical and was running around doing this and that. And he was, he did the, the survey and he got the feedback. And he wasn't ready to hear any of it. He said at the time, I was so in my ego that I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't bear. It's like, what do you mean I'm like that? What are you talking about? But people, if they can give that honest feedback, it really does give you a chance to evolve yourself because he said that's what made him into who he is today and allowed him to build the culture that he has around him. It takes a lot for somebody to be able to do that. Yeah, and it takes character to allow people really grow next to you. Because as I said, most people act from a position of fear that what they have might be taking from from them at any point or at one point. And I think it shows really character and strengths when you see, well, this person is really good in a certain field. So you appreciate the talents of other people but you also know your own value on your talent. And I think that is important. If you know your own talent, you know what you're good in and you also know what you're not good in. That's also important. Mm. Having an awareness. You can have a much more open culture and really build a real successful team around you. I think that's very, very important. Mm. Do you have any specific personal philosophies that you use within your business? Um. <laughs> I have a personal philosophy. I think that's, it's just very simple, you know, leave something good behind. Mm. Um, Whatever 
I try to to build at the moment. I hope it's something that really creates a change, even if it's just a small one, and creates something that hopefully makes others to change certain ways to do business as well. So really and inspire and lead the way yeah. to show the effects of doing business in this way. Yeah. What part of the business process do you enjoy the most? I always love the beginnings. I mean, because I think there's a lot of beauty in it when everything is raw and you, you, you know, you're literally a little plant that starts to grow. And I love the creative part of it. I love to be around people. I love to create to open doors for other people. I think that's something I'm, I'm good at. I think I'm, I think one of my strengths in the past has always to, to see talent in other people and to nurture that, whether that was in my position as a managing director, but also now when I see really talented people, but I feel they don't have access to the right, the right audience. I think I'm a good connector in, in terms of that. So whether it's, through creating a brand and opening a door for for craftspeople from all over the world to to be presented through our business, I think that's what I really really enjoy. And then see that businesses also can be a force for good. Mm. This is something I really really believe in. That if you really want to, and it's not about obviously everybody needs to make money, but you don't. The the biggest problem in our world is greed. Nobody says you shouldn't make money, but I think the biggest disease in this world is greed on every level. And business can be a force of good if you know where to start and you know which buttons to push. This is what I really enjoy when I really see a result, when I know that there are 20 people in a little village in northern Argentina weaving carpets. And I know I'm changing their lives because they can send their kids to school. And it's, it's little things, but the more you do and discovering new artists and bringing them on and introducing more products, that makes me really, really happy. Seeing change, creating change. And yeah. And that has a knock-on effect in the villages. Seeing a positive change. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we have everything at our fingertips to start a business. We are also inundated with information, which I think is so overwhelming. There are so many people sitting there. Like you said, there's a huge amount of super talented people. We talked earlier about getting a mentor. It's not just any mentor. It's like knowing how to find the right mentor. But what do you bring to the table for for Mm. finding the right mentor? It's like taking responsibility for that. I think also people, rather than sitting and waiting to get permission to find something, what could these people do who are just starting out that don't have any previous business experience, but now in this world, anyone with an internet connection can literally get started? What would you say to them? Yeah, as you said, I think (laughs) one of the biggest problems I think we have is overwhelm total overwhelm with anything there's just too much of everything and it starts with social media and this constant flux of information or non-information most of it is not even information so I think I personally feel I'm the most creative when I'm shutting myself off the noise Mm. I think first you need to really deeply listen inside 
what you what you want, what you want to, where you want to be, and start from that point of really creating something from, yeah, from the bottom of your heart, really. And I think it's really important. Sometimes the more you read, the more you advice you get um you can you can read as many books as you want you know it's so i think it's sometimes going really back to the roots and just figuring out really what what you want and again everything just starts with one with one step and fear is the one point that pulls people back but at the end you know all you need to ask yourself what is it really what i'm what i'm so afraid of what can i lose my mom always told me and it's something i i will never forget And it's actually so simple, but so encouraging because I always said, oh, when I was in school, I never had a clear plan what I wanted to be because I'm I'm very curious. I did a gazillion and one internships in all kinds of fields. I traveled. I went even to an acting school at one point for one year. So you could also see from one point, okay, that's a good skill though. Yeah, but you could also say it's a very chaotic person who obviously doesn't want doesn't know what she wants. On the other mm-hmm. hand, you can also say that's a very curious person who wants to discover the world. So there's always a yin and the yang side to, to something. My mom always said, you know, you will just do fine. Even if you lose all your money, even if you lose your job or whatever, I know if you have to start tomorrow at McDonald's, I know in a week you will become the employee of the week. So it's really the question, what do you have to lose? There's really not much you can lose. If you're healthy and you have two hands and you have your brains, there is not much that can stop you. And yeah. as long uh, as long as you have that, I don't think there's really much to be afraid of, to be honest. And there's a lot of opportunity. I think it's just really important to really truly try to be yourself don't try to copy someone else because there are a lot of, a lot of copycats already out there and that's probably the most difficult thing to really uh, deeply re- deeply think what you really want to do and um why is the business you create or you want to create is different than any other business and i think that comes always really soul searching Uh, I'm so glad you said that because at the end of the day, people can copy you all they like, but ongoing, those people are always going to be waiting for your next step before they can do anything and you will have done it. from a very different angle. If you just come off the angle of, okay, I just do what X, Y, that is doing and then I'm fine, you're always a step behind. Mm -hmm. You're not um, leading. No, you're not leading. So if you really truly have a passion and love for what you're doing, it's your natural instinct to, to search, to look. For me, the biggest joy I have is just researching, looking, going to fairs, reading books of all kinds of backgrounds, from visiting museums, old textiles. I mean, I just soak up inspirations from so many different sources because I love it. Mm. But there's if you so don't have it, you know, you, wouldn't, you would not have the drive. You just try to copy and run. Essentially, you just run behind someone else's ideas. And that I think in the long term, that will never work. And you've just hit on a really, really important point. I think people get swept up in the idea of making a quick buck and thinking, oh, I'll just do anything. I just need to make money. And again, the soul isn't in there and the creativity, no wonder they're lost because what are they drawing from? There is nothing to draw from. 
I think it's learning to trust yourself more because everybody has so much more inside of them than what they realize. They just, they don't trust. And they're brainwashed with social media, which is an incredibly controlled environment. The algorithm and look how many incredible businesses that are not being seen because of how we're locked into the social media in a way that we are. It's all very controlled. we, we We are being fed with things we already know, right? You're just getting more, the algorithm feeds you with, with more of what you already know yeah. instead of making you explore more, which is what life is about. And I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I actually don't, don't like this kind of structure because the more these algorithms show you more of what you have already, it just leaves you in a blind spot. I'm very, very strict with my social media. I mean, I, I reduce, actually, I reduce and reduce. I mean, I never follow things that make me feel bad, no. whether it's with my personally or on another level where I feel like I have to compete or compare myself. But also on a business level, I, I truly only focus on people that I find inspirational. And that's really from all kinds of fields because the world is such a big wide open place right whether it's can you imagine doing the same thing all the time or looking at the same thing and i find it extremely boring so i i find people interesting i i love the concept of renaissance people and i feel it's almost like a species that is dying out because the more we develop it feels like the more we create more and more people who are, they're so, it's not about multitasking anymore. It's hyper-focused on one thing. And I know that there are a lot of books about how, you know, there's this bestseller that I read and I really like the one thing. And it's all about, you know, you have to find this one passion. And it's true, you know, if, you are, if you're spreading yourself thin, you will never become great at something. And, and there are so many examples but on the other hand, I think it, when it comes to creativity and finding inspiration, I personally love to be around Renaissance people who ha- just have a passion for everything, just talking to someone who only had one topic in his life and is maybe a master of it, but that's not all there is. It's great and you, you probably guaranteed for success, but I think on a larger level, I think it's so much more interesting to find. I personally found the most interesting people I met were people who dabbled in a lot of different things because it's it's about a, a curiosity for the world, right? I'm a multi-passionate person. I like so many different things from photography, film, travel. There's so many different things, but when it comes to business, and I think this is something people struggle with, they're like, but I love so many different things. That's great. But at some point you do need to be able to grab one of those things and go deep that you need to be able to learn that, understand the mechanisms of it. Then you can perhaps pass that on to someone else who manages it. So you can move on to the next thing, but there's that very surface level thing that happens I think half of the time it might be fear that people think if I choose one thing that's when the fear starts to rise it's like okay now I really have to get serious about what I'm doing um, yeah yeah there's I couldn't live without looking at all these different things because you're right it feeds you what that's why so many people love to travel yeah 
especially if you are in the creative industry. Like I lived so many years in Dubai, but I living in Dubai is out. So, you know, you live in a bubble where it's the same ideas, the same people, the same circles. And at one point, if you don't take yourself out of it to experience something completely different, I always felt when I lived there, from, especially in, in, in working in advertising or marketing, I needed to get out to get a fresh injection of ideas. Otherwise, you're just moving around the same, the yeah, same it's ideas. That's what you're consuming. Out there it, yeah. It's so important. It's so important to get out in the world and just experience everything, whether you're young, whether you're old, you never, you know, you always grow, you always learn. Mm. What's the biggest lessons that you've been able to draw on from your experience? Um, I think I'm not really afraid of a lot of things. And maybe that's, um, maybe I'm just lucky that I had parents who, who encouraged me just to, or gave me the confidence that I could become successful in, in many different things. But I'm not afraid to start. And I've basically left my first, my, my position as a managing director really at the height of my career, where for a lot of people, then it's easy to have a good salary, to maybe Not become a bit more. Themselves. Exactly. And for me, having reached a certain point is always like, okay, what's next? I love the idea of I love the idea of starting of new ideas, which is maybe um, an absolute fearful place for a lot of people. For me, it's something I really enjoy. But I think it's also that I'm I'm not afraid of a lot of things in life. Of course, I'm more afraid of really, you know, health problems or whatever, but not, yeah, not really that I can, that something is not working out. Because I think with, with the businesses I started, I just had such a gut feeling if, I would love that product if I would think that's a business I would buy products from or it's a service I really, really would like to try out Then there are many other people out there. So the point of view when I started to develop a business was also taking myself sometimes as my own um, bias persona. So I think that's that's one thing. And um, I think the fact that you've taken the time, the slow kind of living, you know what it is that you want to do so you can focus on that rather than focus. And this is something I see is people want to do something, but then they'll ask everybody else for their opinion, which by the way, they are literally just opinions and they're just going to project what they think onto them. Yeah. And then you're just fearful for yeah. the wrong reason. I, I think we have Fears, things can happen, but if you're always coming from a place of worrying about what could happen, then you're yeah. in trouble. I think it's a lot about really having a deep trust in yourself and your, your capabilities. And I think that's important. And as you said, I think a lot of people look up to people with titles or achievements or whatever, but I've met really, really a lot of what you call important people. And to be honest, yeah, some were impressive, but at the end, everybody's just cooking with water. That's after so many years in the industry, that's what I see time over time. Everybody has fears, everybody, no one is perfect. And most people take a lot of years to mask their insecurities, to have this picture perfect 
image of them, but I haven't met a person yet who is not, uh, um, yeah, not not free from insecurities. And and I think once you realize that everybody has their own struggles and everybody has their own hopes, you realize you you can also be a person who can do anything. But I think one important factor. I talked with my mom about it the other day is actually grit. I think if you ask me what is the most, a really important trait successful people have, I think it's not the knowledge or I think it's really grit that you're really willing to bite through also tough times that you realize it takes time to build a business that nothing comes overnight. And especially when you see nowadays in social media, and sometimes I feel sorry for, for this generation where it's always presented like people achieve fame and fortune overnight. I haven't met a single person who achieved anything overnight. There's always a long, long way of hard work and perseverance behind it. And those stories are sometimes not told because, yeah, Again, I don't know. Again, it's media, right? People, people love this picture of, oh, he made it overnight. And it's, you know, whether you are a Hollywood film star who started maybe already as a child actor, it takes years and years and years to build credibility, to build talent, to, to be really good at what you're doing, right? To know and, what you're uh, doing. Robert and Green says that. Doing. I yeah. love what he talks about. He talks a lot about grit. That's very important. Yeah, getting and, real with it. And people are getting very impatient or they say, okay, if, if I haven't achieved this in a year, then I obviously suck or, or I'm not successful. But you always say, you know, most people achieved something because they didn't achieve it a thousand times before. And it's a thousand and one's time where they were actually successful, you know, that's, and, and that what grit is to not give up. And I think people don't know that. They that you're right. They they just think, okay, that didn't work out. Well, actually, if you gave yourself another year or even another, sometimes another month, it's literally just that thing of not giving up, not quitting, and and it is yeah. so difficult. Yeah. It is so tough. Sometimes you have to push through on a schedule that just leaves you feeling questioning everything. But at the end of the day, if you're doing something that comes truly from your heart and your soul, there is nothing that can keep you down in that place. Just naturally, it just can't. Yeah. And I think it will happen if you are, if you put in the amount of work and you're truly passionate about it, it comes from a place of love and you have the grit to really stand, you know, out so yeah, being resourceful, then, getting yeah, help. resourceful. It will not. It will not happen. Maybe overnight. Maybe not in a week. Maybe not in a year. But if you really have the grit, it will happen. It literally is a question of time, and I think that's that. Really, is whether you are successful or not, whether you will give up or or succeed. I think that's that's a really important lesson, which changes and your whole know. trajectory of your life. Yeah, right? absolutely. And finally, I mean, we've gone through so much, which has been amazing. Is there any, anything you want to want to leave it on? And maybe I'm going to influence it by saying, here you are. You have been so incredibly successful as a managing director. You had another business. You're just passionately moving through your life, choosing to do what you want. What really frustrates me is just seeing people 
who just stop for whatever reason that they can't go on because, oh, it's too late. It's mm. not about that. And we are now going through changes compared to when the internet started. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just started a new startup and it's again, you know, pulling my own money into this because I really believe in it. Yes, it's taking it's taking risk. I also could say, you know, from the sale of my old business, I'm I'm just take a year vacation or I don't know, do something nice. But my God, this is not what life is about. Also something, what's in your head, positive mindset, what you tell yourself. I'm a person, I can really say I'm never sick because I, I, always, I always say, say that I'm as never well. sick, so I'm never sick. And this positive self-talk is actually really important. And coming back, I mean, you know, I started now by native. I actually think it's a positive thing to start a business late in life because you are already a vessel that's full of experiences and you learn and probably easier to start something later in life than earlier because there's a lot of mistakes you probably will not make. Just go for it. You know, the older you get, the more you know what you don't want. And that's also an important factor. As I said, you know, leave something good behind. I really wanted to create a business that is not up for sale for the next years. I really do this because I'm passionate about it. I wanted to seeing it grow and to develop and hopefully become a really successful brand that is loved in hopefully all around Europe. So that's really my goal and to make people aware and also maybe kick off a trend of slow living, buying less, buy more meaningful, buy things that you really love, that have a soul and a story for your home. And that's just on the business side, but also on a personal level. This is what I'm trying to develop in all parts of my life, you know, living, really cutting through the clutter and, and really deciding what is really... Um, what's worth value. your time. Yeah, what's worth my time, because time is really the one thing that everything is replaceable in a way. Time is really the only thing you can't get back. So it's your most valuable commodity and you should, it's one thing you should not waste. And unfortunately, when we're young, we think we have so much of it. And that's a one lesson when we get older, there's at So it's a very, very valuable thing. And um, I just and having that awareness. Yeah, you don't have this awareness when you're young. I didn't have. I always envy people no one does, who are 30, so. you know, oh, I travel the world, I live in a caravan, and, and that's great. I didn't have this. But now, you know, for me, it's really doing the right thing in terms of where my business mind is heading. And also on a personal level, I just only want to do things I where I truly find joy in. And I don't think this has to be a luxury. It can be also really simple things. You know, you you cut out um, toxic people from your life, things that are that are just not good for you and surround yourself with people who inspire you. So important. You know, really, it is really important. The good, the positivity, it's not that fake toxic positivity. Everybody, let's all be happy. It's like, yeah, life is challenging. Life is difficult. But if you stay stuck, it is up to yeah. each of us to live and grow and live thoughtfully. Yeah, absolutely. Buy Native. It's an online store mm -hmm. that people can buy your products. Do you also go to people's homes or are you still developing 
we will try hopefully to to add a kind of yeah interior decorating service too but we are also trying to to offer as much free advice as possible in terms of we will have a magazine online magazine that will come out shortly so hopefully oh, nice. there's a lot of um yeah just free free stuff we can give things to think about travel advice all that sort the whole slow living movement yeah it's something I, I very much very much believe in yeah Yeah, I do too. Vibke, it has been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for taking time today. How can people find you online? You can find me online or us online, www.buy-native.de. DE is for Deutschland, for Germany. At the moment, I think we are available all over the EU for delivery, but I think in a month it will also be worldwide shipping. Thank you, really. It's been, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed our talk, Leonie. It's something I, I'm really passionate about. And I, I love also to talk to entrepreneurship is something I really am very passionate about. So I love to talk to people who just start out and any advice I can give. If you have people who have questions or so, yeah, happy to answer them at any point. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much. You take care and I will speak to you later. You too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. You've just finished listening to an episode of Rare Conversations. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love for you to leave a review and share it with a friend who you think would be interested in this topic. And if you have a business question, please send it in to us. We may very well answer it in our next episode. So be sure to tag me on social media at Leonie Milano. The show notes and other information can be found on our website at www.leonimilano.com. Thank you again for listening and we look forward to having you back with us again soon.